Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Helen. I'm Janet. I'm Taylor. And I'm Sierra. The Asian American identity and the stories that exist within our community are vast and extremely nuanced. The three of us have explored our own identities through various episodes, such as episode 25, ABM, Asian Boss Moms, episode 63, APAM, Growing Up in an Asian Household, and episode 64, My Asian American Identity, with the lens of us specifically being second-generation Asian Americans. If you listen to those episodes, you have heard us talk about our parents' immigration stories and how we balance the culturally traditional side that our parents passed down to us and our Western side, the environment in which we were raised. Today, we want to explore a form of identity within the Asian American experience that the three of us can't speak to ourselves, and that is the stories and perspectives of people who are fourth generation in our country, meaning their great-grandparents were the first to immigrate to the United States. To help us explore this topic, we have brought on two very special and familiar faces and voices. Welcome comedian and writer Sierra Cato and director and writer Taylor Chan. Yay! So excited to be here. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having us. And thank you so much for coming on. Um, Just for our listeners, do you mind sharing a little bit um, about your background and where did you guys both grow up and how did you both end up in LA? Taylor and I actually have some overlaps, so it'll be kind of funny, I think, finding these out gradually. But but uh, we're the same person. No. Um, so basically, <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> we have one guest today. Yeah, yeah. We're conjoined. Uh, I guess I'm fourth generation and I grew up... Well, a bit of my background. I mean, I grew up in La Cunada, um, oh. and I now live in Los Angeles and I'm a stand-up comedian primarily, but I also write for television and yeah, I mean, I grew. I ended up in LA because I was born here. So that <laughs> that happens, you know. Sometimes your family just was like, you know, oh. we'll stay put. Let's have a kid. Let's have a second kid. And that was Is that me. how that works. Apparently, yeah. I don't make the rules. Yeah. You know. Um. Yeah. I I'm Taylor. I, I'm a writer director at Wong Fu. 
um, working in the entertainment industry as well. Uh, my family is based in L.A. too. Uh, I grew up in La Cunada as well, Uh-oh. which is Whoa. which is really funny. We didn't know this until we started collaborating. Sure, this is where you guys um, regret inviting us both on because it's yeah, yeah, not a very diverse <laughs> panel of fourth generation Asian Americans. Um, but yeah, I'm Chinese American. My great grandfather on my mom's side came here. Our family for multiple generations have stayed in L.A. and um, have um, pretty much yeah, just stayed in SoCal. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that introduction. So both of you consider yourself fourth generation. Can you share with our listeners um, culturally what countries are your families from? I guess I consider myself fourth generation on both sides. So I'm I'm half Japanese, half Chinese American. The story goes, my great grandparents on both sides were the ones who made the move to America. Actually, on my mom's side, she's Chinese. My dad is Japanese. So my last name Kato is Japanese. But a lot of people are like, what is that? Because there's a W on the end. So it kind of sounds, it, lo- it reads mm. like Katao, which is Polish. I don't know. Who knows? So, <laughs> so it was, it's definitely a mess up when they're coming over and, you know, getting those paperwork's done, whatever happens, you know, at that time. Um, but anyway, so that's that's my background. I think they came around like the turn of the century, so like 1900-ish or a little before, a little after. Oh, wow. I'm fourth generation as well. My great-grandfather immigrated here on my mom's side. Fourth generation on my dad's side as well. So we're, I'm Cantonese as well, so I'm Chinese-American, and um, both sides um, Chinese, so 100% Canto. I don't know where but like around hong kong is what like was what i've been told it's one of the things i think that's been lost through generations is like what mm. specific like mm. town or province that i'm i'm from and like whenever i ask my parents like what the history is it's like well let's let me do some digging you know and like it takes a long time to get answers my mom's side is interesting too because like yeah my, my great-grandfather one of his friends came back from america to china and like uh, i think he he died Oh. In China. So my, my great-grandfather, like, took his, like, visa and came back to the U.S. under this n- name, Choi. Oh. What his real name is, Wang uh, or Wang. Wait, you're a Wang? Well, my mo- on my mom's side. Oh, sorry. No, yeah. Sorry. I guess. I guess. <laughs> this whole a- time? <laughs> I'm a Chan on my dad's side. And oh, okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. I guess a Choi, maybe a Wang. Yeah. On my mom's side. <laughs> it's kind of similar to Mike Bo because his name is also not, it's not, it's not Bo. Um, I think it's Wait, I have another name thing. Yeah. Sorry to cut it. I, I'm, I'm just realizing, well, because my great-grandfather, I think, was named Leung Tom. So his last name is Tom. So I'm a Tom on my mom's side. Oh. But then he flipped his name because he felt like Tom didn't sound Chinese enough. So he flipped his name so it was Leung or Leung oh. or um, oh. however people oh. would love to pronounce it. He sold herbs and he wanted to really push the Chinese part of that. So he also switched it up, you know? B- business is business. Yeah. People do that all the time. Wow, that's a crazy story. Yeah, wait. So Taylor, you said your grandfather, this is your gra- your great-grandfather, took the identity of another man. Yeah. I don't think he, like, and came to the U.S. by himself? Yeah, by himself. So, I mean, I mean, okay. I don't, I don't, you probably haven't, I, have you talked to him about this before? Do you know why or what the, you know, what the purpose was or? Well, he wanted for opportunity pretty much and to start, start like a business in, in, um, in the U.S. and start a family there. I didn't talk to my great grandfather about it, but I, I heard the story through my, my grandfather and it wasn't actually until like mm-hmm. maybe two years ago that I heard this specific story and I was actually surprised my grandpa even remembered it. 
that's that's do you I guess for both of you do you remember if your great-grandparents had come to the U.S. because of the railroads or um I think during that time that's what was happening right I, I know I don't think it was for the railroads from I actually don't even know the year I think it was like I, I really I really don't know the year 1913 I'm not sure but mm. I, I think they started off as farmers, uh, my great-grandparents. And oh. um, I, I know that, like, they, there was a lot of um, race things they had to deal with, too, in terms of, like, getting loans and, like, having to ask white friends mm. and neighbors to help front and get them mm. money from the bank mm. so they can start their lives here. It, yeah, it's very surface-level information. I, know. I, re- I feel really guilty for not having the full detailed story, nuanced story to um, – to walk you guys through because it'd be interesting for sure yeah no i mean not at all taylor it's like i i think about my even my own parents stories i'm just like well, so why did you like come here mm. or where did yeah. you you know like how did you meet dad again mm. like you know all of these things if i don't know from my parents them being so close like of course great grandparents i have i would have no idea too um sierra do you have a little more detail on on your side oh god yeah why don't we know what our great-grandparents were doing what are they thinking <laughs> where are their diaries yeah. um no i i am lucky on my mom's side because my my actually my mom's aunt was a writer and so she wrote a book on mm. family history so we have a book oh, it's called nice. sweet bamboo and i think it was taught in some asian american classes Ooh. in uh some of the uc I don't know, USC. Uh, but yeah, uh, Louise Lu Young Larson was her name, and she wrote a story. So anyway, about wrote a story. She wrote about her family. I think when when you know my mom's side came over, it wasn't for railroads. It was he. I think was just like pursuing oh the American dream. Mm-hmm. You know, like weirdly, I think maybe they came over maybe even before 1900. So oh wow, they were selling herbs, I guess. And then you know later, um, his wife came out as well. And I remember making like a family tree at, you know, in La Cunata Elementary where uh, someone's name is Wang Bingwu. I think that's my great grandfather. So that's good. And then my, my dad's side, I, I know much less about his side, why they came over. Um, but, you know, so they were Japanese. So I know my dad's grandmother, one of them was a midwife. So she delivered like a ton of babies, oh, wow. like maybe some in Texas. I don't know if I'm making that up. Anyway, she was scouring America delivering babies. That's all I know. So did they come to uh, California or? I assume yes. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I want to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Who You guys going to fact check me? <laughs> We're going to go read that book. <laughs> Sure. I mean, yeah, that's the Chinese side. I, I haven't noticed. Sweet bamboo. Now let's fast forward the times real quick. I'm curious about how did your parents meet? How did you guys come about? So both my parents, it's funny because they're both multi-generational and I feel like that played a part too. And yeah, they they met in pharmacy school in San Francisco oh. um, at UCSF. And um, they have a whole cute story about like getting closer at the library every day while my dad like kept getting closer um and trying to get closer <laughs> to talk to her oh, wow. and they eventually went on some dates but later on once it got more serious they realized that their parents know each other like my grandparents on my mom's side and dad's side used to hang out in la because like the community was so small wow of chinese americans mm. that oh, they, wow. they'd be like oh yeah oh eddie oh roy yeah we used to like we used to do, we used to go to the that barn party together and do the hayride together. Uh, oh, he was so good with the ladies and stuff like that. They have a bunch of stories, oh so it, it's fun. It's funny like seeing like how our families and our upbringings being in uh, coming up through America 
uh, also like drove them together. For, yeah, um, that is so weird to hear like a uh, like uh, parents calling like yeah. Eddie Roy. Yeah, that know? was those are like such, dude, that, <laughs> to me. I'm like those are such white names <laughs> that I would not hear from my parents. The fact that I could even like talk to my grandparents sometimes that that like blew my uh, peers' minds that were mm. Asian uh, that like I went to mm-hmm. high school in English. That was like yeah. the talking point yeah, that was yeah, like yeah. very routine in school. Is like, oh Taylor, tell them what your your mom and dad's names are, and I'd be like. <laughs> Marsha and Gary, and they're like, "Whoa, <laughs> whoa, what about whoa. your grandparents, yeah, Roy?" Yeah, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, do it, do, do it again. again." Do they speak Chinese? And I'm like, "Nope." They're like, "That's crazy." Wait, Sierra, how about you? No, yeah, I mean that's very funny. I, I totally have the same experience of like, yeah, I don't know. Does my grandma speak Chinese? I don't know. I speak to her in English. Like she also, I think she wanted us to call her um, something other than grandma, but I just called her grandma. But I think she was kind of like, oh, maybe we do poo poo. Like she was like, maybe poo poo or poopy. And I was like, well, that's, that also means poop. But I, that's not, that doesn't mean, you know, I think it was close to pawpaw, but, yeah, pawpaw. but it was a little bit, you know, with a twist. Um, Anyway, so yeah, I would say my, my parents met uh, in, Similarly, in school, in grad school, mm. dental school at USC. And uh, they also have a bunch of friends who we see every Christmas who are like their dental school friends, but they're all like multi-generational, in this case, Japanese-American. And, and you know, it's like Warren and Carol and like <laughs> Vicky and Dickie, you know, Uncle Dickie. Yeah. So lots of lots of just Asian-American friends and, and such and... Uh, I guess it's weird. A lot of people are like, wow, Chinese and Japanese. That seems mm-hmm. at odds. Did they mm. like each other? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess to when my mom ever talks about it, she's like, well, you know, I mean, at the time, right? It's like, it doesn't even matter because they're so far removed. They're yeah. both multi-generational, which helps. Um, yeah, all the parents can talk to each other, so that's good. And then I guess, you know, they didn't really care about that stuff so, because yeah. it didn't mm-hmm. happen mm-hmm. here. And mm. I think the one little thing was like my my mom said, yeah, I think around when I was getting married or whenever uh, her mom, who's my grandma, was like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's uh, he's Japanese. Are you worried about that? And then she's like, oh, no, I didn't think about that. And they're like, OK, well, yeah, yeah. Moving on. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, because that, that, I think that is a huge factor. Like both of our grandparents or the, the first gen, like they came before like uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act and like mm. um, this refugee, all the refugees that came here. So there was a huge influx of Asian Americans or immigrants after um, our great-grandparents and grandparents. Um, and I think even our parents are like the product of that previous generation. It, it, it makes sense to why they gravitate towards each other and also why um, it's, not, it's not as an extreme coincidence or like a random mm. um, for, for our parents to find the other uh, fourth-gen or third-gen Asian American in their class and have connections in the past it 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 actually does make sense Mm. yeah that does actually i've never thought about that but that makes a lot of sense kind of like the same way that maybe a lot of us are drawn together as second generation but of course it's expanding more so it's less likely that like our parents kind of know each other but i can see how yeah 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 so sierra and taylor thank you so much for sharing about your parents background now let's move it up even 
further down the timeline and if you guys can share with us what your childhood was like and maybe more specifically culturally um, or maybe share with us like the foods you ate at home did you celebrate certain holidays that were um, you know how how was that whole process like managing your culture in your childhood Uh, yeah food I think is the main thing that I go back to because I you know grew up speaking English so language culturally wasn't part of it but um food for sure oddly my mom who's uh Chinese American in theory uh cooked more Japanese food at home I think because she felt like it was easier but I mean by Japanese food we're talking teriyaki chicken we did some spam musubis that's very Japanese American I guess yeah and then lots of American food so who knows what we're doing I did Japanese uh American basketball league which is like a big Mm. thing and yeah in California at large or Southern California I don't know it's just if you're Japanese American out here apparently you play basketball and I was one of those um so I started at two foot ten grew to about four foot 10 and then <laughs> quit uh no i yeah so we did that where i was pl- a player for the pasadena bruins everybody shout out um and uh we would i think practice basketball in like i think a buddhist temple where they also had like half of a basketball court so lots of you know lots of culture there um i would go to little tokyo a lot did the chibi k run which was like kids day or something where you just run around in a big t-shirt and you get like little snacks afterward big fan of that um my grandma who was my only i guess surviving grandparent at the time so we would go we i mean my most of my memories are visiting her but you know i my dad's dad and my mom's dad were alive during my childhood and uh and i never unfortunately i never met my dad's mom but um we would go visit my grandma who is Chinese and she was um or Chinese American uh she lives in Monterey Park so Mm. you know best food ever just every time we visit her it's like shovel it down you know hang with (laughs) poo (laughs) poo um and uh yeah and you know it was it was a lot of like big family gatherings a lot of juk eating a lot of juk which is canto kongi is that right yeah Um, is that what kanji sorry uh and yeah a lot of that um but then ironically too I would say childhood and I'd love to hear what Taylor has to say about this too. The town that I grew up in, La Cunada, was primarily Korean American, I would say. So mm. oddly enough, like I was probably also absorbing a lot of Korean American culture <laughs> inadvertently, even though that wasn't, you know, necessarily. I mean, you know, it's fair game. Anyone can culturally influence me. I'm a pretty much a blank slate here. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Um, my, my dad went to Chinese school, right, in Sunday school, but that wasn't something that uh, he made the kids do his kids me my brother and sister so we didn't learn uh cantonese we didn't go to school for it It wasn't enforced a lot of people would ask growing up like if i do i eat rice every day and like it's like yeah we that was one thing we did a lot we 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 had we ate rice with every meal but oddly enough it was still a lot of american food or like stir fry from just a a bunch of whatever recipe my, my mom found i feel like yeah a lot of the chinese culture i got was just from like Chinese New Year, but it was still like a very Americanized version of it. Like I would talk to my friends and they'd be like, oh man, I got so much money. And like for me, it's like, like, oh, I I thought like you only get like 20 bucks, (laughs) 40 bucks. And like, I'm like, oh wow, like these first gen, second gen friends of mine are getting like hundreds of dollars. And I'm like, I was like envious (laughs) of their experience. So it would be like these big family gatherings around like Chinese New Year mm-hmm. or like Christmas. And because like I'm multi-generational and fourth gen, um, our family's pretty large. Um, and like we have a Chan clan. <laughs> That's cute. 
and there's like at this point it feels like almost a hundred people that could go wow. but a lot of people end up not going but we're multiplying very quickly uh over the past how many years so and they're all very americanized too but like we come together for these like specific chinese um celebrations where yeah. do you guys meet for that is it at someone's house or is it do you have to rent out like a hotel well for like chain clan we'd actually do it in like a church oh. like a buddhist temple like like sarah's saying or like um one of the one of the families like churches that they go to and they rent out the gymnasium or yeah one of the halls and hosts everyone and then for chinese new year we just come together for uh like samwu or um some restaurant in chinatown um for banquet style chinese food yeah well, I'm actually very curious about um, Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year, because for me, I'm already afraid that when I have kids, that even if my parents are there to tell me what to do, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to pass down all the traditions to them. And so I'm curious, during your celebrations, does it feel like it's forced? Kind of like, oh, you're just doing things because you're supposed to? Or is someone like, you have to do these traditions because I believe in them and this is what you need to do during you know, Chinese New Year? For me, like it's always like understood. It's like, oh... Uh, what do you say? We have the envelope. What are you going to say? And then uh, <laughs> yeah. the we, all the kids that aren't married are like, oh, mm-hmm. gong hei fa choy. And they probably don't say it very well, like I just did. <laughs> and it's like, we, we've all bought into this custom uh, to, to receive red envelopes. But I don't necessarily know if it's like super authentic. There's this, this air of like, everyone's kind of been passing this specific custom down Um, and we're kind of we're more removed from it as a whole family than than you guys are I think that's one thing I I, when I had friends uh, that were first gen in high school I always remind them it's like hey you know where you are I'm not I'm not even your kid I'm your like kids (laughs) kid yeah so like even you thinking about how you're gonna pass down information like think about how how much your kid can even passed down no exactly yeah it just seems like that's so difficult to do like even for me i'm like okay well i'm gonna have to make the fish and noodles and certain you know the like it's not like a radish thing but it's like a root vegetable thing with a little penis thing so that you have more boys (laughs) (laughs) oh yes the The penis thing (laughs) you know what i'm talking about that one passed down to my family don't worry (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what that means but (laughs) that's that's, yeah we're still doing that one don't worry about that we 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 have the data that's the only food you have on the table yeah for some reason that one stuck around i don't know why <laughs> maybe that one's in the in the sweet bamboo book yeah yeah, yeah. look it up there's definitely a two-page spread what about you sierra i mean you know there's a lot of like if it's food it's like you crave it so much that it's probably maybe somebody's gonna pursue that if they themselves are like i need to eat this food every year so like mm. if nobody does it i have to do it so i could see that being a thing because there's a little like my great aunt, um, who actually lived in Silver Lake, she would host a big, like a Chan clan, except um, like her last name was, well, what was her last name? Jesus, I don't even know. <laughs> Holly Lee. Her last name was Lee. Was she, you know, but I guess it was the Leung clan. The Lee um, League. Uh, the Lee League. Thank uh, you. I'll let her know. She is no longer with us, but she would have liked that. Um, but anyway, she would host huge gatherings as well, which was like an accumulation of family. Then, you know, occasionally we'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess that person's not even related to us. But it was like someone's friend and they just kept coming every year, you know. So it's just sort of like accumulated people. The juk is a big thing. So I feel like that tradition mm-hmm. became, oh, this is tradition. Everybody, we have five different types of juk. Some are more salty and some are more sweet. And like, mm-hmm. it, it's just like... 
and then we do like a raffle thing every year too that's obviously not chinese tradition but we have a raffle for all people bring like (laughs) their old stuff that they don't want anymore and then they raffle it off and i got a bunch of fun stuff from that so i don't know that's you know so you make your own traditions (laughs) i guess but on the food yeah on the food and i know we do a lot of like uh on my dad's side making mochi mm. we used to do that for a while oh. but anyway i mean what I, what i mean is like yeah it's sort of like diminished as the years have gone on because it's kind of like who's the host who's gonna mm. make that happen right um and it could be you but it could also you know nobody could be like oh i didn't even really like making that mochi it was more labor than it was worth so then <laughs> you know i don't want to get my fingers pounded or whatever <laughs> you know they gotta flip it mm. and then they got no I, I we didn't do that we have like a electronic one you know it's the 21st century fancy uh, fancy wow <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I, I feel like it's just sort of who wants it bad enough, mm, you know? Yeah, you gotta... yeah, yeah. Who wants to keep the the traditions bad enough? Or it's, it's I mean, it sounds fun. Yeah. It's like instead of more maybe like cultural traditions, it becomes more family traditions yeah. that get passed down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Skillshare is a sponsor of today's episode of Asian Boss Girl. For all of you creative and curious people out there, all you beginners, pros, dabblers, and masters, Skillshare has something for you. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes, with so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives. At a time when so many important conversations are happening in our world, your voice is more essential than ever. So explore classes to unlock your creativity for social good. One of the classes that I really enjoyed taking was one by Soledad O'Brien, titled Powerful storytelling today, strategies for crafting great content. As content creators ourselves, sometimes this stuff just doesn't come easily. But learning from someone who has experience in the techniques is a really great way to boost our skills in this area. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity with classes from Skillshare. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com ABG10. And the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare Premium Membership. Again, the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare Premium Membership. Head to Skillshare.com ABG10. So I know we've been sharing this partnership with y'all a lot, but honestly, this is the one thing that has been keeping me sane during these past few months. I've been using BetterHelp, an online counseling service available to our listeners worldwide. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. I've worked with therapists in the past, and when Shelter-in-Place started earlier this year, I signed up for BetterHelp and found the virtual component incredibly helpful. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with a licensed professional therapist. Personally, I work the best with video, but you can select a counselor who does messaging, phone calls, or video sessions. You can also change counselors at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Visit betterhelp.com abg10, that's better h-e-l-p, and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. They have a special offer just for ABG listeners where you can get 10% off your first month. Try it out at betterhelp.com abg10. Okay, so shifting a bit from the focus of family and diving into the topic of identity. I mean, I guess, does it even feel, does it feel weird to both of you that we have a whole podcast dedicated to you because you are the minority of 
Asian, the Asian American majority, which is mostly first and second generation. Is that weird? Or have you already accepted that as part of your identity of like, yeah, I'm different? It's a little weird, <laughs> but it's something I've like had to come around to even like um, owning. And I've, I'm maybe Sierra is different too, because for a while it was like, I, I especially in high school and elementary school was like, oh, it's strange that my family has been here for longer than most other Asian Americans. And I felt othered a lot in that in just the Asian community, right? But as I've gotten older at this age, it's like something that I almost take pride in mm. and almost like I'm just more grateful that um, I'm able to kind of voice this and still be a part of the community in some capacity and uh, care about the same issues because we still have the same issues at the, at the end of the day. And I think it's what's interesting is that there's a realization of that, like we're all on this spectrum of, I guess, assimilation. We're all trying to figure out where we fit in that spectrum and like where we lie and what purpose we have and what unites us so I've, I've kind of come to terms with that and I'm so I'm actually really glad that you're even highlighting it because it's mm. part of that process yeah. I think well Taylor earlier you mentioned that you feel you felt othered by people in school yeah um, in in what ways did you feel othered is it like pop culture related or foods in what specifics did you feel othered it's interesting because I'd feel it from like different directions right mm. um yeah, I grew up predominantly around like uh, Caucasians, uh, non-Asians. I was in a very affluent town. So hanging out with like white friends and stuff, I felt like equals for the most part. But there'd be like every once in a while, there'd be like a joke at the expense of Asians. Mm. And I, it would be something that like I would be like, oh, it's just boys, you know, like I we, we make fun of him for being very pale. We make fun of him for having a lot of freckles. I get made up for being Asian. Mm. And like, it's just like I like roll, had to roll with it. But at a certain point, it, it became like a. So it's like, oh, like I'm, I'm not ever gonna be entirely what um, equal to you guys. Or mm. it's a little too much, right? So it was like microaggressions, mm-hmm. you could say, from friends uh, and feeling, feeling othered, just mm-hmm. from my friend groups. And then from the Asian friends that I had met in like high school or college, I would feel like an outsider to them because, and they would even impose that on me, pretty much like saying like, oh, you're, you're, you're more mm. white. You know, or like labeling me white before mm-hmm. Asian. Or like, yeah, when the way that they would, the the first questions they would ask me were like talking about like, oh, yeah, do you like, do you speak? Or like, oh, like pointing out that I'm more assimilated. Mm-hmm. Like they, the fact that like I was first a whitewashed Asian before mm-hmm. Asian was like interesting. Yeah. Did you also yeah. seek out white friends when you were younger? Because you said you grew up in La Cunada, which sounded like it was, more, there was a lot of Korean people, right? A lot of Asian mm-hmm. people that you were surrounded with. Did you, you know, kind of try and make friends with the white kids. I grew up in Glendale for like four, until like fourth grade and then I moved to La Cunada. Oh, okay. But even mm-hmm. like La Cunada, it has a lot of Koreans, but it's still majority white. Mm-mm. I see. La Cunada, like, there, yeah, there's still, I mean, Glendale even, there was Asian, some Asians, but still majority white. I didn't seek out, there was no mm-hmm. intention as a kid, you know, it's like, oh, who's gonna play ball with me? Who likes Star Wars? It's interesting too, because like the things I was growing up with, with media was also passed down from my parents, mm-hmm. right? The toys mm-hmm. that they were able to afford, the pop culture that they were passing down, um, it was stuff that they were also watching and enjoying. You know, like they weren't watching Chinese television or mm-hmm. uh, they weren't um, learning the, the language. They they have been integrated into Western society for their entire lives. So I listened to their music, my parents' music. I was list- I listened to like Les Mis as a kid. You know, musicals. <laughs> I listened. I watched Star Wars with my parents, I don't know, we shared love for mm. a lot of Western culture. And I think that that being ingrained in me as a kid also made me kind of latch on to Western peers in my, in, in my classes and daycare and stuff. Mm. And like, 
I I didn't it wasn't like in, intentional necessarily, mm. but it was it was conditioned. I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you Syria. Yeah. No, I echo I echo what you're saying. Yeah, a lot of those things make sense to me, and I I don't even think like even the the concept of this podcast being about there like I feel like there's never been really anybody being like what is it like to be third or fourth generation mm. or you know fourth generation I guess in my case because people don't really know that exists or like I know I mean Asian Americans know but uh I think yeah white Americans tend to think oh everyone's either immigrants mm-hmm. or children of immigrants which is the majority but um so I feel like fraudulent sometimes if people are thinking I'm Asian they're also you know sort of grouping that in with other experiences that I can't speak to. I don't want people to assume that just in case that I can't represent that. You know what I mean? But there's sort of this thing now where it's like, ooh, identity, a diversity, like you're Asian Mm -hmm. here. Why don't you speak for Mm -hmm. us all? You know, and it's like, oh, well, I'm actually a minority, you know, because Mm -hmm. all the, the things I can't speak to didn't have, you know, didn't have Mm -hmm. to translate the mail. I heard that's a thing and I didn't have to do that. So I could kind of just run around and play basketball. Um, but yeah, I think the, <laughs> I think with what you're speaking about getting kind of othered from both sides for sure. Like I think, cause I, and also, you know, we're full, like I have a lot of maybe hmm. second cousins or cousins who are maybe half Asian by this point, you know what I mean? Like they've either their mom or their dad is not Asian. So, you know, then, I mean, they deal with a whole other set of problems, but I guess mm-hmm. for me, it's like, I look East Asian so that kind of comes with a lot of East Asians being like, hey, come hang with us. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then they're like, whoa, whoa, what, what's happening here? You know, I, they, you know, if sometimes I know I've talked with my cousins a lot and I'm lucky to have cousins who are in the same position as me, but we'll even say like going to college maybe was the first time when mm-hmm. you're hanging with just even more Asians um, who don't know your background. I mean, in high school, I had a lot of um, white friends and primarily Korean American friends on the Asian American side. So they knew, okay, she's not even not just Korean, but she's also their fourth generation. So there are certain things that she's not. Um, but going to college, you know, meeting a lot of other Chinese American students, I think there was a lot of assuming like, yeah, well, you you and me, you know, mm-hmm. you know how our parents, they don't really understand what's what we're going through right now. And then I'd be like, yeah, I mean, because they're kind of, they're pretty old, you know, I I, like, it's like, it's not (laughs) really the same thing. And I realize that now, but at the time I didn't understand that. Oh yeah, I guess it is quite different. And I think it's, it's just nice to be, I think, acknowledged that it's like, oh yeah, okay. I don't have to pretend like I'm this or that in front of you guys. Cause we're all, we all know I'm fourth generation here, but I think not that I'm trying to pretend in other scenarios, but I think sometimes I get worried entering a room that they don't know me and they think, mm-hmm. oh, she's Asian, mm-hmm. here's her set of experiences. And I'm pretty sure if I placed a bet, they wouldn't know what it is. So I'm like, well, I don't want to deceive you by not saying it, but I don't want to be weird and be like, well, I don't know if you need me to speak on this experience that is specifically children of immigrants. I can't do mm-hmm. that. So I'm really sorry, but I should excuse myself uh, yeah, from yeah. this conversation before I cause any harm. You're already you know? breaking a stereotype by doing that. You're like... <laughs> Gotcha. Well, you both kind of share different, like, you know, uh, perspectives and a little bit of stories, but do you guys have a distinct moment you both felt you're like, wow, I think I'm actually different, like different from other Asian Americans? Mm. I, I don't have a singular moment because mm. it, it was, yeah, not I, the only moment I remember is like I was walking in high school and this kid that I'm not, this popular kid, this white kid was walking um, towards me. I thought he was really cool. He's a cool guy. And he, he like, he points at me and he's all like, hey, you're whitewashed. And, but like he said it with like, 
Like, like uh, not cool. in a taunting way, kind of like, hey, you're whitewashed. <laughs> and I didn't, I had no idea how to perceive this. Because, like, at this end, I was like, I didn't know if that was a bad thing mm. in his perspective. I didn't know necessarily, like, if I shouldn't be whitewashed and stuff like that. And, like, I, or even the terminology. Like, I've only heard it used a few times. And I, I'm, my world is very small. So I mm. took it as a moment of pride. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I am whitewashed. But, like, now looking back, I'm like, I don't like the label at all. Mm. But, like... In terms of like taking like owning um, just my level in my family's journey to this point and where I stand in that, I'm like, yeah, that's where I am. It's it's hey, he's acknowledging it. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's it's definitely one of those moments that made me think a lot about what what that means and who I am in terms of that label. Mm, that's interesting. So, how about you? Do you have a like a distinct memory or a, like a moment? You're like, I think I feel different. Just like overall, I I know that there was you know certain times when. I would I would have a lot of my Asian American friends over to hang out at my house but like they I don't know if this is I don't know if this they didn't like me or something but I would I've never seen any of their houses like it was like always like oh come on down okay and then I think you know maybe it's because my mom was very conscious about all this stuff so she was like oh well you know kind of you know they come here a lot uh you you host sometimes you know because I think she was kind of feeling the burden of having to Mm. be host mom and and I, you know, I don't know if that necessarily was just because they didn't like me <laughs> um, or if, you know, or if like they weren't comfortable with it and that's like totally fine too. Um, mm. But I think there was like that sort of thing um, a little bit hanging over my head like, oh, am I doing this wrong? Or like maybe they don't like me because I'm mm-hmm. obviously, you know, a little different. So, yeah, I guess I got to keep inviting them over yeah. and try to warm up to them, you know, we got to... <laughs> But they were very sweet. I, I don't think it was, you know, yeah. they're kids. They're not in charge of who comes over to their house. But I know it was definitely like, oh, okay, maybe that's something that mm-hmm. I admit is like, oh, you come over. My parent, my mom's here making noodles that are spaghetti noodles. Oh, boy. That's so interesting because when you're talking about, like, why people, like, are, are not inviting you over. Because my first thought is like, oh, crap. Like, I think as, like, like a second generation um, person, I'm just like, oh, I'm embarrassed for you to come over to my house because it's so cluttered and, like, messy. And, like, I might smell a certain way because, like, I had comments of kids telling me like oh you're you have your house has a very distinct smell i'm like oh oh and then i'm like yeah i'm not inviting you over like i don't want i was a i was afraid right you know? yeah and I'm, I, I used to get really excited sure i'd no, be more I excited totally to go to your house that. for spaghetti you know like sometimes i'm like oh that sounds like really yum i don't get to eat that a lot it's very <laughs> interesting no that totally makes sense i think looking back now i'm like oh you know that's just me being like stupid you know stupid like american kid being like I don't know why I can't just like walk into your fridge <laughs> and open your fridge. You know what I mean? Come on. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I, I totally get that. I think that is that hopefully, and it wasn't that I. <laughs> I respect everyone's privacy. Shout out to all my, my good friends. <laughs> so you both have shared um, kind of various levels of, I guess, experiences or stories that have caused you to maybe pause and think about your identity um is there something that still to this day that you really struggle with in terms of your identity and I know it's it's always a journey but kind of like more recently maybe also even thinking we're in 2020 and everything that's been happening in the world right now what is something that you still kind of tried to grapple with in terms of your identity I do believe that because I felt like I had a slightly different experience than other Asian Americans that I grew up with that I've probably had 
a decent amount of internalized racism pew, pew, pew. Um, that I'm worried that I haven't gotten, you know, that I'm them trying to like figure out how much has worked its way into myself now. And so this is like a little, you know, definitely controversial. And I hope that people understand that it's something that I think is, you know, in the matrix of where we are living our lives. So um, but yeah, I worry about that a little bit because I think, you know, sometimes when you're living in an environment and I do think that like where we grew up was a little bit, yeah, it was pretty racist in the sense that, you know, not only was it like a primarily white suburb, affluent suburb, it was also white and Asian. And so then between the white and Asian divide, there was a lot of like, ooh, these Asians are moving in a little fast here, you know, the, you know that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. schools, Asians doing well, um, kind of weird stuff like that let alone any other you know racial issues that could even come to the forefront but because it was primarily white nation that's what I saw right so so anyway so I think I worry a little bit about like okay well then did I go into comedy because I was trying to like break stereotypes but then is the concept of breaking stereotypes racist because you're saying that you don't like a thing that might actually be a characteristic of the race that you belong to or the ethnicity that mm. like so I get a little worried about that sometimes I'm like well if my hope is rooted in like, well, I wanted to do comedy because I wanted to be funnier and, you know, have a voice and like, maybe I felt a little ashamed about being shy. But then is that tied to because I didn't want to be the shy Asian girl? And then is that racist in and of itself? Mm -hmm. So I get a little worried about that these days. Um, not necessarily that, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty much just an internal problem that I need to figure out. But I think that um, that's a big thing because I think just the concept of breaking stereotypes yeah. being good is like worth questioning oh that's really interesting yeah how about you taylor yeah i, I think on some level my that challenge is the same for me like, like um it, it is kind of like i guess especially being a part of wong fu and mm. working in entertainment kind of like what sierra's saying about even doing comedy as an asian american like i'm in a position of like voicing we're at a company that is a voice for the community and we've like um taken that on and as someone that's been writing and directing for them for like four years one thing I always struggle with is like knowing if I'm the right voice for the Asian community it's kind of like an imposter syndrome um, that you guys talk about as well like it's essentially it's like am I an authentic Asian experience am I an authentic Asian voice um, and like I'm always like doubting myself too so like oh like this even the specific joke is that funny to the community or is that just a specifically my, my Western perspective? And like, um, am I alone here? Is my ideas not even something the team enjoys? Or are my ideas like impeding someone else's voice that should be pushed for the community? So I'm, I'm always like self-conscious about if I'm like the right spokesperson or for um, Asian representation and stuff like that. I, I, I always kind of come back and like reel myself back and like remind myself that I, just the fact that I am Asian American, I still I still have validity as an Asian American, even though I am fourth generation. Mm -hmm. And even I think a lot mm -hmm. back to like this episode of Yappy that Phil wrote that I co-directed called Bad Asian, right? Mm. It's like as Asian Americans, whatever generation you are, we're trying to we're all struggling with this idea of like how much of our culture we're supposed to hang on to. And like, should we feel guilty for these certain things that we do like that, that our community is saying that you you need to do if you want to be Asian, if you want the Asian card. Mm -hmm. And um, the fact that, like, we're all struggling with that, it was, it was like, oh, like, I'm part of that circle, too. And, like, that's a unified search that Asian-American communities dealing with on, like, as a whole. Oh, my God. I mean, I feel, ex I feel very similarly, too. 
in the, in the sense that it's like, oh God, I mean, you know, I mean, it's kind of what I was saying about going to the room and then being like, well, I hope I'm not here because I'm Asian American because I'm not a good representation. Yeah. So please leave me out of this, mm. you know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was a great episode too, Taylor. Like that, that's like one of those things where you are like, oh, but then many people feel this way. So maybe I'm not so alone after all. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, oh, like I, I wish I spoke my native tongue. You know, I wish I spoke mm. Cantonese. But at the same time, it's something a lot of people in the community, first gen, second gen, are also dealing with. Mm. Like they all feel like, oh, they should, they should speak better, you know? Than, or just as good as their parents. The fact that we're we're like asking these questions and and um, wanting to be active participants in the community and our ancestry is important on its own and is satisfying so much. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of Asian Americans aren't doing, you know, mm-hmm. at any generation, you know. So so I, I that's how I kind of get myself back and like be like, yeah, it's don't don't beat yourself up, Taylor. Don't beat mm-hmm. yourself up, Sierra. Like you're you're you have purpose in your work as an Asian American, as a fourth gen Asian American. Yeah. No, I think, I think this is so interesting that you are both creatives and you've decided that you really do want to speak for the Asian community because I could see how it is easy to sort of just assimilate into a white America and not take on this burden of um, maybe this, you know, struggle that Asian Americans just face because you don't feel as connected to it based on your background. Um, and being fourth generation. Mm-hmm. I guess a follow-up question to this, seeing that both of you are in the creative space, did you have any pressures to be sort of like the doctor or the lawyer or engineer that, you know, quote-unquote tiger moms might have pushed onto their kids? I find it interesting that you're both sort of pursuing these um, career paths in their creative fields. Well, Sierra went to Harvard. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you blew my cover. I didn't, you know, I know I didn't really have the pressure, but I did too in the sense of like yeah I still felt the pressure of like do well in high school so that you can go to a good college and then but you know I mean overall my parents were it was the kind of thing where it was like I guess I mean I'm sure they would have done something if I hadn't done well in high school when I was under their roof but I just was so like scared of messing up that I basically you know never saw that side of them until I got a boyfriend in high school and that was controversial but it's okay it worked out um anyway but yeah so I think that I didn't feel that pressure, granted, still kind of wanted to be the pleaser and still did, you know, I studied computer science at Harvard and I had that backup plan or, you know, was like fully like, okay, I mean, this is going to be good and we'll shut the people up for a while and then knew I want to do comedy. But I mean, I, I also grew up in a household where my mom's dad was a cartoonist and a watercolor artist, and he made his living doing that. He got his cartoon in The New Yorker. He like did a lot of creative things. And that's kind of what I grew up knowing that like there was a value for that. And he was able to somehow make a living doing that. Um, so it wasn't totally far-fetched that that could happen. And so I was lucky to have that. My parents were probably not like, I mean, my dad's a dentist. My mom's a dental hygienist. I don't know if that was their passion. So I think there was a little bit of like, oh, my dad probably would have wanted to design cars. So he kind of was okay with me maybe Mm -hmm. pursuing the thing. You know, I mean, that's, I guess, a very American, our generation thing too, in some ways is if your parent didn't get to pursue the thing they wanted to, now they're pushing their kind of millennial kids on that path more so than they would if they Mm -hmm. needed more like, well, financial security is is important. So I was privileged enough to have that too. Um, Yeah, I don't know. And comedy was valued because they knew what stand-up comedy was. I guess they had like gone on dates to the Laugh Factory even when they were dating. So, you know, that even then knowing that that was a profession, though unstable and not really realistic, um, they, you know, were familiar with like, oh, yeah, we used to see, you know, so-and-so at the Laugh Factory. I don't Mm -hmm. even remember. But um, yeah, so so I guess 
that was nice. You get you bring up some really interesting points that I haven't necessarily fully thought about too. My parents also like they didn't necessarily tiger mom or tiger like parent um, try to force a specific career path on me. They wanted me to do well. They wanted me to find a secure job. They worried about my future through high school and college and even like to this day, right? But like at the same time, they supported me even exploring the arts in high school. I was very uh, creative in, in high school and the fine arts and took mm. illustration classes and they helped me like exercise that. But they would always temper it with also like, also just so you know, there's not really good jobs in this field. So you should think about majoring in something else in college, right? Mm. And kind mm-hmm. of like they try to like push me somewhere, but they, it was it was never like a heavy hand. Um, and I wasn't necessarily a great student either, which I think also. What? Yeah. I mean, I was an average student. You, you know had a good mean? GPA. I like that was I. It was. It was <laughs> if your parents. Send us your transcripts. I don't know. So here are my transcripts. <laughs> but it's interesting, too, because I don't think like the perception of like, oh, you're fourth gen, your, your parents are easier on you is like, it's, it's, it's not the full picture. Um, for my parents or even my grandparents, like one of the maybe the differences between like an immigrant parent is that like through their upbringing, their world view or at least in terms of what opportunity is, is, is broader. I don't know if I haven't spoken to my parents if this is true, mm-hmm. but this is something I would assume. Like the fact that like you, I have family members, like uncles, second or third uncles that were in the film industry. We're not really close, but like the fact that they know that that's even, mm. there, there is a world where that is possible gives them that leniency towards allowing their kid to explore that that's not something i would expect yeah immigrant parents to necessarily have yet understandably as well it sounds like your parents passed down the values so they're not like externally forcing you into certain fields but the values of hard work and the values of of achieving stability and things like that were still kind of communicated either directly or indirectly yeah yeah Exactly. Yeah, my mom is still like making sure that I'm thinking about all my financial mm. things and and health and and uh, wants to make sure that like I'm setting myself up for a future that can support you know family and support mm-hmm. them potentially. I would say my my sister took a lot of the responsibility off my shoulders because she's a lawyer. So. And she's married. Yeah. So they're like, well, worst comes worst, you can just like sleep in her like bathroom, you know? You're the black sheep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I could do whatever the hell I want because she's going to she's gonna catch me when I fall. Me um, too. Are you guys really the same we person? Are the, yeah, It sounds you. like it now. I wanted, right? to do, I wanted to do stand-up. We're the face app, but I'm the girl. Yeah. Also, <laughs> disclaimer, not all fourth-gen Asian-Americans are like Sierra and I. Uh, I just want to make sure that's clear. No, they're all not like all us. In entertainment <laughs> and... <laughs> That's not the that's not no, the that's the fate of your grandkids. You right, right, right. <laughs> just so you guys know, we're from the future. Twenty twenty has been a lot, and we could all benefit from less stress and more sleep in our lives. It's so important to take care of ourselves and invest in our well-being during times of anxiety. For me, I feel like I find myself constantly scrolling on Instagram or going down a rabbit hole of all the crazy news that 2020 has brought us. Honestly, it's pretty hard to turn off. 
I agree, Helen. I find myself working later into the night now than I've ever had before. But that's why we're so, so excited to partner with Calm, the app designed to help you ease stress and get the best sleep of your life. I found that when I can relieve anxiety and improve my sleep, I do feel better in every part of my life. Calm has a whole library of programs designed for healthy sleep, like soundscapes, guided meditations, and over 100 sleep stories. Over 85 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds and get better sleep. Get the Calm app and experience and transformation the way you sleep. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com abg. That's 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library and new content is added every week. Get started today at calm.com abg. That's calm, C-A-L-M dot com slash abg. It's hard to believe that when we go to the bathroom in this country, most of us wipe instead of wash. Yeah, in Asia, they often use bidets, which clean so much more efficiently and save on paper waste. You know, I've seen them here and there in the States, but they're usually really expensive. The Hello Tushy Modern Bidet Attachment is here to democratize the blessings bestowed by bidets and offer clean buttholes to everyone. Hello Tushy cleans your butt with a precise stream of fresh water for just $79. It attaches to your existing toilet, requires no electricity or additional plumbing, and cuts toilet paper use by 80%. So the Hello Tushy Bidet pays for itself in a few months. And every Hello Tushy bidet attachment comes with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty. Ditch paper products and uncomfortable chafing when you switch to the soothing, cleansing stream of water from a Hello Tushy bidet attachment. Go to hellotushy.com abg to get 10% off. This is a special offer for our listeners. Go to hellotushy.com abg for 10% off. hellotushy.com abg. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swathers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I had a quick question that's a little bit unrelated, but have you both ever, like, you know, gone to your family's, like, motherland? Have you traveled to, like, you know, China or Japan before? I have been to Japan. I've been to Sierra's motherland. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for I, No, I've yet to go to China. I, I want to. Yeah, I don't even necessarily know if, like, that's tied to, like, me being fourth mm. gen. I mean, I guess you could say that, like, a lot of my friends that go back to the motherland because they, they have connection there. They have a family member there or relatives, cousins. Mm-hmm. Because I'm fourth generation, we've like zero connections there or people 
family um, and relatives to visit. Maybe that's also why I haven't gone. I've also, yeah, I've been to Japan and I haven't been to China as well. Like I think I, you know, similar because we are the same person. We don't know anyone in China. Like I don't think we know anyone in China besides my cousin, one of my oldest cousins married um, and moved to Hong Kong. So she's Hmm. there and, and, you know, she had the whole thing of like growing up here and everything and being fourth generation. So she's kind of like in this new phase of moving to Hong Kong. Obviously it's not China, but it's like, you know, whoa, starting anew, you know, Um, and she felt like it was going home. So interesting. Um, But anyway, I, yeah, I've been to Japan. Actually, my dad has some cousins who I think moved back there or kind of in between there and had an aunt or uncle and a little bit, you know, a little bit with his family. So they were in camps. So my grandparents were in camps um, during World War II, of course. And so then I think a, a few of afterward were like, yeah, fuck this and moved back to Japan. I mean, not my grandparents, I guess, but I, I don't know how people ended up back there because they obviously were here for a bit. So anyway, who knows? Mm-hmm. I should know, but I don't. Um, and and so, yeah. Did we so talk I knew the same too? Bit. I just realized that. <laughs> Are God we, damn like, it, get out of my identity. Taylor similar Kent. train of thought. <laughs> but yeah, so so they're there. I mean, in fact, I was I'm I was talking with I mean, how little I know about my family. I try to know certain things and then I'll talk to my dad and then I'll forget. I'll try to write it down. But um I was talking to the Go for Broke National Education Center, which is sort of about the veterans who have who were their families or they themselves were um, incarcerated during World War II here in America, right? And then they also served for America. So I always thought of that as combat, like 442nd, like combat folks. And no one in my direct lineage was in that. But my grandfather was intelligence on the American side during that. So they still put him on their monument, which is, I guess, deserved, right? And so then, so I was talking to them. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I think he did some stuff, you know, and... And yeah, I think, you know, some of them maybe moved back some point and they're like, is his name Takeyuki? And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's my grandpa. And they're like, he's on our monument. What the hell? <laughs> like, you know, don't you know? He He's clearly part of this. And I was like, oh, well, uh, I, I'll see myself out. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and it was nice working with you all. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I think certain things you piece together and certain things I'm like, I don't know, my dad is just loves to tell lots of stories and I don't know what's going on sometimes and he'll he'll you know catastrophize things so it's a lot of fun but I um mm. yeah so so somehow they were back there so I was able to visit Tokyo mm. uh a little bit so that was cool love this love the vending machines that was a highlight thought maybe one day I would you know live over there for a little bit but uh mm. Fukushima happened and I was like yeah I don't know about that <laughs> But yeah, they there are there are some people over there that I am related to, so that's lots of exciting stuff. And Taylor's been there too, so you know he's related to them too, clearly, because we're all the same person <laughs> somehow. Yeah. So Taylor, Sierra, you both have shared with us um, in your upbringing how your parents um, had maybe incorporated certain Asian traditions or cultures. When you think forward to having your own families. Um, do you plan to, and and if, if so, how do you plan to kind of carry forth some of these Asian traditions to your children? I definitely want to pass on heritage. I would, and I, I even want it better than what I have it, but I also very much acknowledging that it's, it's difficult to pass that on without putting it in practice myself, right? Like language, how am I, do I expect them to practice that in the house if I don't speak it? Also, this I should also state that this is also a bl- it would be a blend between me and my future partner or whatever. Um, like if it's Nicole, it'd be like her Filipino. Oh. Not that it is. 
I'm just saying, hypothetically, if it was Nicole, but not that it isn't. It, it'd be like <laughs> that. It'd be interesting, right? It's like how do we? How do I expect our kids to speak Tagalog and Cantonese mm. when we don't even speak those fully ourselves? I, I I ask myself that too. It's like how how much should I be expecting, and how much do I have to change my life first in order to get there? At the very most, I want to make sure that they're active participants in this community and love Asian culture, are like activists in this community and for our issues, and um, don't resent where they've come from. And if they do achieve those things, I feel like I will be a very proud parent. But hopefully, yeah, hopefully we could also sprinkle in even more beyond that. That's a really good point. It is like, I mean, I have some cousins who have kids and they're so cute. They're like two and three. And they, because she's you know, like me, fourth generation Chinese, and then her husband is, I think, second generation Chinese. So he's able to, like, teach the Mandarin, and they're, like, speaking Mandarin. The weird thing, she doesn't know what they are saying. Mm-hmm. So, like, that that's also, like, their, their awesome superpower to keep secrets from mom. So that's cool. Um, but I think, you know, overall, I, I would, I mean, I wish I could speak Mandarin, or, or Cantonese or Japanese. I don't associate that with culture as much, right? So it's like if my kid wants to learn Portuguese, have at it. But that's going to be Duolingo's problem, not mine. Um, I think for me, like with, you know, whether I don't know, I don't know if I want to have kids yet. So that's also like a whole thing. But I kind of am excited about the idea that like, because there's new traditions that can happen. And like, you know, there are certain things and it's just going to be about like, you know, what I liked. And then that's going to essentially be the only thing that they get. I mean, you know, so of course, like I'm going to probably fight to make juk more because I still make juk in my instant pot. So they're going to really be great mm. at that. But they might not be as good as things that I was like, yeah, I didn't really like the I didn't like the prune candy things. I don't know if that's a thing, but they're not going to get that. <laughs> I don't you know, and I'm it's not intentional, but I think, yeah, that might be something that gets lost. And I, I love to think about, you know, what is specifically Asian American identity and maybe that that's like spam moose bees, you know, it's, it's sort of those things that are like, well, it's kind of, it's not, not like white American and it's not necessarily East Asian specifically. So what is this new thing that hatched up here? Um, so that could be fun. But, you know, I also feel like I, even within my family, like I said, like I think there's certain things that I would think are, like I think I just assumed because my dad said gesundheit that like that was a japanese word growing up but it's not it's it's german (laughs) so you know i just don't know i felt like i was growing up with all sorts of like making things up so who knows what my kids are gonna think you know oh well mom's asian so what she does is asian well yeah yeah. sorry Mm -hmm. man i don't know it's it's not so i don't know it's just gonna be um i think unique and and uh I, I feel like it's a little out of my hands, but I am excited about the the possibility that, yeah, maybe they could learn some languages because I think that's important if they could get them young. But it, I just, I can't be the one to teach them, unfortunately. Well, now you can add the uh, the penis root vegetable yeah. thing to your... Uh, yeah, yeah, don't worry. That'll, that'll go on. Yeah, that'll continue. <laughs> I'm going to add that too. Because it never stops. <laughs> well, speaking of families, when it comes to dating, Taylor, I know you mentioned that you're, you know, you're in a steady relationship with Nicole, Sierra. I'm not sure if you're taken or Single oh yeah, I'm in a I am in a relationship with my boyfriend Dylan. Hello, Dylan. Um, is is he Asian American or is he? Oh God, uh, he's white. Every all the people are gonna come after me. God. 
I'm sorry, I repent. We've been dating for so many years. It was before I, I was enlightened. <laughs> oh, no. There's oh, a God. whole episode just it's about okay. this dating. Feel free to. There is. There is. We, haven't, we haven't covered that episode yet, but maybe we'll bring you on for that one, too. Right, right, right. Um, Cast me to the sharks. <laughs> but I guess um, my question was, when, when you were in the dating scene, were you ever drawn towards people who maybe were third or fourth generation? Because maybe you had more similarities and culturally background, you know, they look like you and it's easier. Was that ever something that you thought about when you were in the dating world okay so the only other boyfriend i've had is in high school and he was third generation korean american hey you know i mean everybody who's a kid is a kid so you're just kind of like i can't tell i don't know what generation means as much um but i would say yeah maybe that did make a difference looking back and then our parents you know were friends and such and then thereafter i mean i think always you know i probably i was just very limited uh dating (laughs) experiences because I've been with my current boyfriend for a while but but yeah I would say there's definitely that helps I I remember my mom telling me like well you know what'd be nice if if you could find a half Japanese half Chinese uh guy to date I'm like well exact same person (laughs) yeah yeah I'm like well that's gonna be did you have a son because I don't know if that's I don't have I don't know anybody um but yeah, it's, it's, uh, but you know, I think there's a certain sense of like, it would be nice to have some shared experience where the, there's that, but I, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's not a, a deal breaker either way. And then yeah, that all went out the window. <laughs> my... Well, I'm sure Dylan is a, a great, a great guy. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. I, I always talk shit about him on podcasts and then he gets mad at me. So I'm sorry, Dylan. It's fine. It's a joke. Lighten up. <laughs> uh, what about for you, Taylor? Okay, it's interesting. When it comes to like people I've been interested in, growing up, the Asian people would be like, oh, I, you would date a white person. You should be dating white people, right? You're interested in white people. And I'd be like, why is that? Oh, like, I, I was like, I guess I, guess I should because you're saying I'm, I'm more white. And that would, I'd be very confused about that. And like, typically, like, as an elementary school kid who was just hanging out with white people, I did like, like non-Asians. But I also think that's also part of media and like um, what I was watching and who was just the, my environment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily associate that strictly to because like I agreed with them that I'm white and I, I if I'm fourth gen, I'm non-Asian and I should like white people. As like my identity, my search and my identity has evolved, I've looked for a partner and that aligned with that. And Nicole aligned with aligned with that. Aww. <laughs> Nicole's a sweetheart. Well, to wrap up this episode up, uh, one question I have is, uh, what are you guys both currently working on in terms of your creative projects? Currently, I'm writing for a Disney Junior show, yeah. so for little babies. Um, and it's it hasn't been announced yet, but I, it'll hopefully be out next year. I don't know, animated, so it takes a while. Um, but I'm soon going to be writing for another show um, called Close Enough on HBO Max. What? Which is out, but it would be a later season. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I guess still not doing stand-up, so that's fun. Um, it's pretty much a lot of, uh, I enjoy doing my Zoom shows, and I do my own little podcast, which I'd love to have you all on, and Taylor has done it before when we were still in person, and I try to transition to Zoom a little bit, but it's sort of a, a one-woman process. It's called Stay Pod, 
sensitive. <laughs> um, and it is. <laughs> and I just love to, you know, talk to people for an hour. And that has been a fun way for me to stay sane, even though I don't think nobody asked for it. You know what I mean? Um, but it's uh, Taylor is a wonderful guest. And so I stumbled you know, a lot. It's, it was really it's legit, terrible. right? Yeah. It was, no, she has a great podcast. Great. That's where we maybe discovered more about our mm-hmm. common um, background. Also, our parents went to the same high school. Am oh. I right? St. Gabriel. Alhambra? Alhambra High School. Yeah. My mom went to the same high school as his dad. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's might have been where we, I don't know, or when we were just working together. But anyway, regardless, that those are the things other than curling up in a ball and um, being sad. <laughs> so that's good, too. <laughs> um, I am working on YouTube short films and sketches for Wong Fu Productions. Um, we are also working on a feature film. Uh, <gasps> wrote a feature film. That could also help, you know, move the needle when it comes to Asian stories uh, in the mainstream. Just, uh, just, just really excited that I could still uh, exercise that voice and, and um, be a part of this movement. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing what you're both working on. Uh, so where can our listeners find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Instagram under the handle ChanMan325. And you can watch the stuff I make on Wong Fu Productions. What's the 325? That's my birthday. Oh, wow. That's how I get people to remember my birthday. How about you, Sierra? Where can we find you? Um, yeah, I'm also on um, Instagram at Sierra Cato, uh, S I E R R A K A T O W. And that's the same for Twitter. And your and your <laughs> podcast is uh Yes, thank you, thank you. I always I always forget to say my podcast, though I mentioned earlier, is Stay Pod Sitive on all the platforms search it up thank you after you're done listening to this podcast go (laughs) and look up stay positive all right well thank you both so much for joining us today on this episode and opening up and sharing with us the very intimate stories of being a fourth generation asian american with our listeners i think identity is always something that is super difficult to dig into and you both did an incredible job doing that today so Thank you for being thank with you. us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks yeah. for being curious about it. It was really it was really enlightening to talk about it and share stories with Sarah and, and the three of you. So Yeah, this is so helpful. We also have some partnerships that we're happy to share with you all, like Ritual Vitamins, BetterHelp, and Calm. So look for the links and codes in our show notes. And for more partnership discounts, head to our website. You can find us on all the podcasting platforms. We are Asian Boss Girl. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a rating and review. And if you'd like to support us through monthly donations, you can do so at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support. We are also very active on social. Our handle is at Asian Boss Girl. If you resonate with today's guest and episode, screen cap the podcast, tag us, and we can reshare on our IG stories. Also find us on YouTube where we have started Dare ABG. Subscribe at Asian Boss Girl. And if you haven't heard, we have launched our summer collection where you can rock an ABG merch. Go check it out at AsianBossGirl.MyShopify.com. And we're also trying a little something new. If you have a friend you want to shout out to wish them a happy birthday, happy anniversary, congratulate someone on a new job, you can email us at shoutouts at AsianBossGirl.com. Shoutouts with an S. And last but definitely not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all of her magic on our episodes, including this one. Catch you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye.